uh, came to church last week for the first time in about 18 months. Uh, for some of you, this might be your first time. Uh, I, uh, I had a tear in my eye last week as Kathy began to play and began to sing. Uh, you know, that, that was a beautiful song that I so much enjoyed being a part of that. Um, it even brought a tear to my eye as Josh began that second song with the drums. I thought that, that was awesome. <laughs> and it's so good uh, to be here. Uh, it was awesome to, to hear Einer begin this process, uh, these few weeks that we're going to speak about prayer. And then, uh, and then to go out the doors there and visit with a few people. I was here for the second service and there weren't too many. Uh, but it was great to just stand and, uh, and yak. Uh, for a few minutes uh, and look into the... We actually took off our masks outside, so we, we, we looked into each other's face, which was so something that was so missed and uh, was cool uh, to be here last week. Um, I appreciated the prayer uh, this morning about uh, something about God speaking uh, through the weird things, and I guess that's me this morning. <laughs> so, all is good. So, how many of you are just like me, perfect in your prayer life? Uh, okay. How many of you are just like me and completely imperfect in your prayer life? Yeah, I, I didn't ask for a show of hands, but I saw several go up. Um, so, my experience includes the not knowing the how, the when, the where, the what, the why. Um, I, my experience actually includes the guilt about not knowing the why, the what, the where, the when, the why. Have you ever had that experience, like I've had, where you haven't prayed for a while and you start praying and the first thought that comes to your mind is, oh man, how can God actually be wanting to hear my voice? Uh, how can he want to listen to me? And you know, there are some great lies that the evil one wants us to believe about prayer. We're gonna to get to the evil one actually next week. My mom, who loved God with all her heart, she said she had such a terrible time getting to pray. She had seven kids um, and she couldn't find a quiet place or a quiet moment. Oh, there's a mom, thank you. Uh, I like a laugh. Um, and uh, she, she, said, uh, she said she finally figured it out, that the bathroom was her best bet. And uh, she would go into the bathroom and she'd lock the door. And she'd even get down on her knees beside the bathtub and quickly fall asleep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure we all have some sad stories to tell about prayer and some fun stories to tell about prayer. I'm equally certain that there are some really cool things. You know, I, I won't name names, but I, it has been my pleasure from time to time to be a part of the, uh, the corporate prayer times that we have, and we, we've had them on Zoom for uh, the last 18 months, and, and uh, in those corporate prayer times, it's, such a, it's, it's so cool to sit there and, and, and be a part of listening to the prayers and listen to that father-daughter father-son relationship, and sometimes in the simplest and sometimes in the most passionate of prayers. 
Now, I'm not going to stand up here and suggest that I have any of the answers of the how, what, where, why, when of prayer uh, and those, those questions that trouble us, uh, but I might suggest that there is someone who does. So I'm going to try at least to share some, of, some insights into what the greatest teacher on prayer had to say. I'm finding this really low. <laughs> uh, there were 12 guys that, uh, that Jesus shared his most important thoughts, who share, he shared his most important teaching with. He was preparing them to launch the greatest movement that the world would ever see. Yeah, if you can believe I actually have something that is too short for me. Um, and, I, and I don't, yeah, that's great. And I don't even have my brother here to heckle me. Um, so guess what? I think those 12 guys had the same kinds of questions that we do. And if you actually go to Luke 11.1, 1, you'll say, see that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus began to teach them. And you'll find the, those very similar, or similar words of Jesus' teaching here in Luke, but I'm going to teach uh, out of Matthew this morning, which has the same kinds of words, and we're going to use that as our reference for Jesus' teaching on prayer. Now, I suggested over the last few months when I've had an opportunity to teach that if you really are searching for answers, you know, start by going to the Gospels and reading the words of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew... Uh, we find ourselves this morning with the words of Jesus. You know, that, that uh, this is the most awesome piece of scripture, I think, anyhow, as we get to sit in on the teaching of Jesus on a whole variety of topics. It begins in Matthew 5.1 with the words, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. One of my dreams is one day to sit on that mountainside. Uh, I'd love to go there, sit on that mountainside, and just uh, read through and study those words from Matthew 5 to 7. Now, Matthew begins with these words, now when Jesus saw the crowds. I love to think about those words and wonder just what went through Jesus' mind when he looked out and saw the crowds. He looked out and he saw you, and he saw me, and he knew just what we needed, and he began to teach. And our specific part of that teaching comes from Matthew 6, and I'm going to begin in verse 5, and I'm actually going to quit a little bit earlier than I suggested I'm going to, but um, Jesus turns his teaching to answering that question of the where, the when, oh sorry, not so much the when, but the what, the why, and the how of prayer. So let's get right to the words of that teaching from Jesus about prayer. So Matthew from the NIV, Matthew 6, 5. It begins with the word and. And uh, when you see that word and, you've got to believe that there's something before it. So I, I'm just going to step back for a minute and say, you know, the end, let's look at it. So we might want to look at the subject before. And Jesus has just finished teaching about giving to the needy. 
I love to think that giving to the needy is a good introduction to prayer. Or giving is a transition into prayer. Take a moment to think about that. Jesus just finishes that teaching, those thoughts, and then he moves into prayer. I'm not going to go into that because if I do, I won't finish in two weeks. And those of you that know me know that's quite possible if I don't stick to the notes. Um, So back to, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I'll stop there. You know, I always think about, when I think about Jesus, I always think of him being so positive. He, he tells us, he teaches us, he demonstrates for us just how to live. But here, Jesus starts with how not to pray. He starts by saying that prayer is not a public thing. It's not for show. Jesus says the same thing about giving and prayer. If your prayers and your giving are for people to see and people to hear, you've gotten exactly what you're looking for, the recognition of others. Jesus says your prayers should be personal. In fact, you might want to go into your room, close the door, and pray to your unseen father. not going to go into that a whole lot, but I just wanted to make that point that I think that Jesus is suggesting that, that prayer is between you and your unseen father. And can I just, I'll just stop, and I, 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 I'm not suggesting in any way that corporate prayer is not awesome and valuable. Jesus says later in Matthew, he says, truly, if two of you on earth agree about anything that you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with you. I love that thought. <laughs> when a few of us gather to pray, that Jesus is there right in the middle of us. If you can some Monday night, you know, join John Fairchild on Zoom and others in corporate prayer. If you don't want to pray, don't pray. But just come and listen. Listen to how some people are praying passionately, some people are praying quietly, and uh, just listen to the recognition of the Father. Listen to the requests on your behalf. And see if you don't agree that Jesus is just having fun being in the middle of those prayer times. And I like to think that that thought is one of those rewards from our unseen Father. So then Jesus goes on to say that, hey, your word count don't matter. 
Prayer is definitely not about how many words you can fit into five minutes or whether you prayed for an hour or not. Why? Because Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you begin to pray. So let's go home because God already knows what you need, what you want, what you desire before you begin to pray. And I imagine that a few of the guys in the room have reached their 10 minute attention span limit and they probably say, yeah, let's go home. But Jesus didn't, He's, he goes on, so we're gonna go on. So I would like to suggest here that prayer is not about you or me telling God something. And prayer is not about Jesus who is listening to those prayers and adding his confirmation as he sits at the right hand of the Father. I'd like to suggest that prayer is all about me. Prayer is all about you. So let's go into the room, lock the door, and begin to pray. Our Father. Now for me personally, I enjoyed the first 41 years of my life with a dad who loved my mom, who loved his kids, who walked with integrity, and who honored God with, a, with his life in all love, faithfulness, and generosity. For some of you, the idea of praying to Father may be a bit tough because you didn't have a dad who necessarily represented the best of fatherly models. But this is not my earthly dad. This is not your earthly dad. This is your heavenly father who knows you intimately. In fact, David suggests that he knew you before you were even born, and he's the one who knit you together. He is the heavenly father who sent his only son to die on the cross to pay the debt for your sin and mine, to bring you and I into perfect relationship with him, and so you and I can be in this closed room talking to him as our father. So you see, we haven't even prayed three words yet, and we begin to see this is about me, this is about you. Those first two words should bring you to the awesome recognition that of just who you are. You are a loved child of a heavenly father, creator of the universe. Einer called this moment last week experiencing the discovery, sorry, of the true nature of God's majesty. I'm going to quote you a few times, Einer. It's okay with you. It's all right? All right. Thanks. Jesus first invites you to experience our Father in heaven, to consider the nature the how high, the how wide, the how deep of God. And then his next words are, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. Does God need us to tell him that? Does God need us to know that, his, that holy is his name? I, I think, once again, this is all about me. It's all about you. As you're quietly in your room, you're, you're first going to recognize your Father, your heavenly Father, who is and where he is. Then you're going to see him, that he is holy. I would suggest that Jesus is not telling us to tell our Father that he is holy. He's suggesting that we, that you, that I, 
recognize him as holy. I kind of looked that up and I thought, what, what does that really mean? And it's, I think that what it's saying is that, that, that God is, if we're recognizing him as holy, we're seeing him as perfect in his goodness. That we're seeing him perfectly right in all things. And I think most importantly, we're seeing that he is worthy of yours and my complete and utter devotion to him. So imagine that you started your day by closing yourself into that room for a few moments and you recognize that you have a heavenly father who's creator of the universe, who knows your every need, who is perfect in every way, who is right in every way, who is worthy of our complete devotion and he knows our every need before we make even one request. How does that change your day? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, how many of our prayers are about our needs and those needs of our loved ones? Are you getting a little annoyed at Jesus right now? Because we haven't been able to ask God to bless our marriage, bless our kids, bless our needy family member, bless the leadership board as it prepares for the next year. And Jesus suggests that we pray that God's kingdom come. For those disciples that day, I can just imagine that uh, they were thinking, all right, we're finally getting somewhere. God's kingdom come. Yeah, let's get rid of those Romans and their kingdom. Clearly, Jesus wasn't giving one thought to the Romans that day. Remember, he looked at the crowd, and he saw you, and he saw me, and we were the ones on his mind. He was thinking about how much we would benefit as we prayed, your kingdom come. So just step back a minute and look at Jesus' first words when he looked at the crowd that day. And his first words were, blessed are the poor in spirit. For what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus then instructs us to pray that God's kingdom come, it is again for you and for me. We are praying to our Father in heaven. We admit that he is holy, that he is worthy of our complete devotion. He wants us to recognize that there is a kingdom that is unlike any other when we recognize our need of him. Einer said that we should be humble and pray and experience God's grace. You know, we have yet to pray for anything or anyone. I think Jesus continues to set us up for some of the big things and difficult things that we need to pray for when we pray. Your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To me, as we begin this prayer with the attitude that Jesus has been trying to show us, and we come to this part, we need to stop and listen to what Jesus is saying. Yeah, but I want to pray for all my needs. And Jesus says, what you really need to pray for is that God will have complete reign over you. That it be his kingdom, that his will be done in my life and in your life, just as it is in heaven. You see, it, all con it continues to be all about you, and it continues to be all about me. Jesus is not giving us some secret formula, a formula of, of the how, why, what, when to pray. He is reaching down into our hearts 
and minds to bring us to this point where we pray that with that humility that Einer spoke about in his, each of his points last week. So it's all about my attitude. It's all about your attitude as we pray. We are to humble ourselves and submit to his, to God's lordship in our lives. Can I add another point here? A few years later, Jesus used these same words in a prayer. It was that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed, not as I will, but as you will. With that, Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. This whole idea of God's will taking over in our lives and praying that his will be done in us is gonna cost. It may cost your pride. It may cost our resources. It may cost yours and my time, yours and my money, yours and my wants, yours and my desires. But as Jesus sets the example of the cost of complete submission to God and his will, we can see that the result, as Jesus said, is a reward. And in the case of, obviously, the cross is a life so much greater and so much greater lasting value when we submit completely to him. So have I said that statement enough? It's about you and me. I do want to turn that one off. Imagine now with me, as we begin each day in that room, recognizing the God we serve, we recognize his holiness and how that turns into my complete devotion, your complete devotion to him. We then invite him to have his complete will over our lives today. Who does that impact? You and me, and then as Jesus planned it, everyone around you. You see, <clears throat> Jesus loved us so much that he gave us everything, and he commands us to do the same. So when we humbly devote all to God and ask him to have complete control over our lives, it is so that everyone we come into contact with, and in fact some that we don't even come into contact with, will feel that love of Jesus through us. So Jesus makes the teaching on prayer all about you, all about me, so that it impacts everyone that we come into contact with. You know, it, it, uh, it, it impacts that marriage that we wanted to talk, that we wanted to pray to him about. It impacts our parenting that we wanted to pray about. It impacts that needy neighbor that we wanted to pray about. So how does that change the list? Or how does that change the attitude that we have when we pray through the list. I love how Jesus always brings it back around to love. I think Einer would have called that the humble prayer aligning our will to the will of God. So let's do one more part of this teaching from Jesus before I wrap it up today. Give us this day our daily bread. 
we were thought like me, where's the please? Where's the thank you? <laughs> like, shouldn't it be please? Give us this day our daily bread? And I think, uh, as I was thinking about it, I said, you know, really, does God need us to ask him for our daily bread? Does God not love us enough that he provides? So why the prayer for bread? Now, Matthew records in chapter four, Jesus' words for Satan as he was tempted about bread. And Jesus makes the point there that what we put on our belly is important, but what we put on our soul is so much more important. So can I suggest a couple of things here? First, Jesus once again wants to bring us to that point where we recognize who God is. And in this case, God is our provider. All about us and our attitude. So, so that if we are submitting to his will, then perhaps we should simply be thankful for what we have. Einer said this was the humble prayer of thankfulness. Why do we have this big long list of things we want? If God is in control and we submit it to his will in our lives today, then we should be thankful and content with what we have. Don't you see, it's all about you. It's all about me again. We can let go of what we want and be content with what he has given us. But you see, it's not all about you, and it's not all about me. If we're content, how does that impact all the people around us? Secondly, if we consider the message from Jesus about the importance of God's word in our lives, this may be another part of that prayer. We remember to be thankful for the food on the table. We should also remember to hunger and thirst for righteousness because Jesus says back at that beginning of, of the Matthew 5, that if we do, we'll be filled. When we submit to God and allow him to fill us with Jesus, we simply find ourselves completely content with what we have. You see, it's all about you, it's all about me, and then it becomes all about those around us. I apologize if I've overstepped today in trying to put thoughts in Jesus' mind about what we may have been trying, what he may have been trying to teach that day about prayer. But I love to read the words of Jesus and know that there was no one who walked this earth that had a greater mind that could speak with such depth and richness. I simply believe that everything he taught, that every action that he went through was completely for you and I. And when we actually get it, it's completely life-changing, including in our prayers. When we truly submit to God and his will, the impact will be felt by everyone around us. When Jesus says in his opening remarks that our unseen Father will reward us, I think that's what he's talking about. It's about you, it's about me, but it's about everyone around us. There is an amazing, uh-oh, what did I do? <laughs> it's great having kids. I have enough of them. Uh, there is an amazing reward when God, God's love is allowed to reign supreme in our lives and the reward is felt by everyone around us. So you see, it's all about me. 
It's all about you, but it's all about everyone else. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I pray that we will submit to you, that your will will be in our lives, that your love will reign supreme, and that our families, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors will see your love and praise you along with us. In Jesus' name, amen.